spent some time a couple weeks ago dealing with our purpose of ministry and just gave a kind of an introductory uh, message, if you will, to the series that we're doing um, and gave a very high-level overview of uh, the purpose, the biblical purpose of a New Testament church. And we found that in Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 11 and 12, uh, that talks about the fact that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And he said this, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And that is our purpose as a church. As a pastor, I am to be a preacher and a teacher of the Word of God to try to mature and try to equip and train and help grow people uh, to do the work of the ministry, and which is the edifying of the body of Christ. And so, um, very important that we understand these things. Uh, if we don't understand our purpose, then we are destined to just kind of flounder as a church, to be honest with you. There's no direction. Uh, there's no uh, drive. There's nothing that uh, we're pursuing after. We're just kind of showing up. And my dad used to say it this way, breathing in the good air and just blowing out the bad air. And just that's all we're doing is warming a, a pew in a church somewhere. So it's important that we understand why did God establish the church? There, there is a purpose for it. And uh, certainly evangelism comes into play on that. Uh, doctrine, teaching of doctrine comes into play on that. Fellowship comes into play on that. Uh, we went through five different things that are tools that we use to accomplish that purpose. Found in Acts chapter number 2 and Matthew chapter number 28. And so we dealt with that kind of just a real brief, uh, almost a very concise, if you will, high-level overview. We're going to probably, if we have time tonight and get that far... We're going to touch on it again, and then we're going to, over the next two or three weeks, we're going to develop that purpose rather extensively and um, get into some of the methods, some of the motives uh, that we need to follow after as a church. And uh, by the way, uh, motives are very important in church. And uh, it's something, uh, if you will, uh, be praying about that lesson. I'll be probably two or three weeks from tonight, Lord willing. And um want to be uh, praying for that because uh, when we get to the issue of motives, a lot of people uh, are members of a church. A lot of people attend church. Um, a lot of people serve the Lord, and they do it with an improper motive. And uh, very, very important that we do this. We want to be scriptural. We want to please God in all that we do. And so we want to find out what does the Bible have to say about these things. Last week we began dealing with our philosophy of ministry. Our philosophy of ministry must come from God's Word. In Colossians chapter number 2, if you will, take a moment to look with me in verse number 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Speaking here of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and uh, the Father. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Father, we come to you tonight. We pray that you'll bless uh, the message and the lesson that we have this evening. May we rightly divide and understand your word. And Father, most importantly, I pray that you would help us as, as a church that desires to be biblical, to be pleasing to you. May we model our church our purpose, our philosophy, our motives, our methods. 
May we model them after the principles of your word, that we can be well-pleasing to you, that we can be a, uh, a church that is able to be effective to shed the light of your word to a lost world. And so, Father, we do pray that you'll bless. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct. May he work in the hearts and do his work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find in verse number 8 that Paul is giving a warning here and saying that there is a possibility for us to develop uh, philosophies that are modeled after the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world. And the truth is, if you look around at a lot of churches, and I will say this, we used to just say if you look around at a lot of churches, but I have to add this today, that if you look around even at a lot of Baptist churches, you will find that there are a lot of churches who are following after the traditions of this world and after the rudiments of men, and their philosophy is a world-based philosophy of ministry. Uh, we're going to get into that a lot further, uh, but I just want to start off by saying this, that God very strongly, and the Apostle Paul teaches here in verse number 8, that we're not to have a philosophy that is after the rudiments of the world, but it is to be a philosophy that is after Christ. We are to be rooted, notice in verse number 7, and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as we have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So it's not enough for us to just simply know our philosophy of ministry. And I said last week the second most important thing in our church regarding philosophy of ministry is knowing it. The most important thing is that we do it. And that's what he tells us here in verse number 7. He says, rooted and built up, established in the faith as ye have been taught. So he said, we ought to know these things. But notice he says this, abounding therein. The idea of abounding is more than is necessary. Uh, to full and overflowing, if you will. Continuously push, pursuing after it. And so very, very important. We taught this series uh, a little over two and a half, about two and a half years ago. Uh, maybe about two years ago. And uh, just, I think it's very, very important to keep it before our church by way of remembrance. Because sometimes as we go along, uh, we lose sight of our purpose and our philosophy of ministry. If we're not careful, we'll begin to incorporate methods that are worldly methods. Methods that are based on uh, traditions of men or the uh, worldly philosophies that come into play. And so uh, we, we spoke a little bit about that last week and kind of um, ended with uh, the first... Uh, point in our philosophy of ministry, and all other points of philosophy are based on the first one. The first one is this, that the Bible is our only and final authority for doctrine, for philosophy of ministry, and for methods of ministry. Some people put it this way, it is our sole authority or sole source of faith and practice. Uh, we, don't, we don't take the Bible and some seminar that we went to. We don't take the Bible and the soul winning clinic or the Bible and the Bible conference. We don't take the Bible and some well-known national pastor's word for it. It is the Bible and the Bible alone that our philosophy, our doctrine, and our methods come from. And we want to be biblical and scriptural on that. And if we ever deviate from that... It's not only the pastor's responsibility to guard it, but it's the responsibility of every person that comes to this church to help guard that, that philosophy of ministry. If something ever happens to me or I end up leaving this church for some reason, if the Lord were to move me on from here, I would expect our church 
to hold to these philosophies of ministry because they are biblical and to find a pastor that will help to defend and promote these philosophies of ministry. The idea that the Bible is our soul, it is our only, and it is our final authority in all matters of doctrine and philosophy of ministry and methods of ministry. So when it comes to our philosophy, then everything that we develop about our philosophy has to come from this book. It has to come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, look with me, if you will, for just a moment to John chapter number 12. And keep your Bible handy. We're going to look at several passages. We don't have a ton of Scripture, but we are going to look at several passages, so keep them handy, if you will. John chapter number 12, and uh, if you will, look with me in verse number uh, 48. John chapter number 12 and uh, verse number 48. It would do a lot of preachers. It would do a lot of deacon boards. It would do a lot of church members uh, good to look at this verse and read it for what it says. In verse number 48, he says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. There, there's going to be one thing that, the Bible, that God uses to judge both those that are lost for their, for their rejection of Christ and for those that are saved in the way that they have lived their lives now that they are saved. There's one thing that's going to be the standard and the rule that he is going to judge by. And he tells us of it here in verse number 48, and that is his word. We as a church, when we stand before God one day, will give an account of what we did in this church, not based on how, the, how many people we had in the building. Uh, it's not going to be based on the facilities that we had. It's not going to be based on the offerings that we took in. It's not going to be based on the affluence of our church or the influence of our church. It's going to be based on, were we biblical as a church? Did we follow what the Word of God says? Very important that we do this, that we hold fast to this. This is something that is not up for debate. It is not up for compromise. It's not something we take a church vote on. This is something we hold to, that the Bible is our, our, our only and final authority in these areas. Now, that brings us then to our second point. So with this philosophy of ministry, our philosophy is going to dictate to us what our methods are going to be, and in some cases, even what our motives are. Uh, and so we're going to look at some of these things. The second part of our philosophy of ministry is we believe that the Bible has the answer for the problems and the decisions of men. So when we go to work with people, we are not going to use um, the, the next best idea that we have found. We're not going to use uh, our charisma or our personality or our good looks or, as your pastor, you know, the athletic physique. Uh, we're not going to use those things. We are going to use Scripture because the answer to the problems of men does not lie in our ideas or our thoughts or our opinions. The answer for men's lives lie in God's Word. In fact, there's only one thing that will transform a man's mind, and that is the Word of God. I can't do it. As a pastor, you say, Brother Greg, you ought to preach a message on this, or you ought to preach a message on that. Can I tell you that it doesn't matter what subject I preach on, I cannot transform a man's heart. But God's Word can. And God's Holy Spirit can convict and bring uh, to their knowledge and instruction in righteousness. So with that in mind, as part of our philosophy, then our church is going to be biblical. Now, that brings up the issue of the King James Version. Because if the Bible has the answer for every man, his problems and decisions, then the question obviously is asked, which Bible? 
Well, we want to have the right answers. <laughs> and we want to have the right decisions made. So we have to make sure that we have a pure word. It has to be without error. It has to be inspired. It has to be preserved by God without any changes from what He wanted it to say. Every word in this book that we hold in our hands, I firmly believe with all of my heart. And if I didn't, I would, I would walk out of this church and leave. I, I'll tell you this, every word in this book, I am convinced, are the exact words that God has for you and I. Not one word of it is different. And if we get into some other versions, some people say, well, what about the New King James Version? They only changed the these and the thous. Have you, how many of you have heard that? Anybody heard that statement? Yeah. Okay, get you a New King James Version and lay it side by side with your King James. And I'll tell you this, they didn't just change the these and the thous. They changed some other things in there. They change things that change what it teaches in there. And can I tell you this, more than anything, they changed God's Word. And we've been warned multiple times in Scripture that we are not to do that. So we believe in our philosophy of ministry that the King James Bible, for English-speaking people, is the preserved, inspired, inerrant Word of God. It is for us, and it is without error, it is able to teach each of us the answers uh, and to the decisions that we have. Look with me in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And um, I, I love Psalm 119. If you, ever, if you ever have the opportunity to sit where you have a, a good bit of time where you can slowly and thoughtfully read through the entire psalm, not the whole book, but the entire 119th psalm, you will find how amazing it is when it deals with the topic of God's Word. He uses phrases in here, the psalmist uses phrases in here like his testimonies, or his statutes, or his ways, uh, his commandments. He goes on and on and on. He's got so many different terms that he uses. But look with me, if you will, in Psalm 119, verse number 9, very familiar verse, most people have it memorized. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? So where is the answer to have victory over sin? He says here, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. We're familiar with those things, aren't we? And so a lot of people say, well, the, the word of God will help me to overcome sin or have victory over sin. But, but Brother Greg, I've got a decision to make. I've got some problems in my life as a Christian that I'm trying to deal with. Uh, where do I go to find those answers? And I've had people call me and say, uh, Pastor, what do you think I ought to do here? And I don't mind giving some advice. But can I tell you this? The Bible has the answer for everything. It has the answer either by principle or by verbal black and white command. It will teach us and tell us what we need to do. It will help to guide our steps. And uh, the Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse number 135, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Is it not? Now look with me, if you will, in verse number 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my... What's the next word here? What is it? Counselors, plural. It's got the answers for me, doesn't it? Uh, when I was a kid in school, uh, I didn't like to read a lot uh, of textbooks. Now, I could read, and I could read pretty quickly, but I didn't have the patience. I was one of those uh, ADD kind of people. You know, I'd, ooh, look, something squirrel, shiny. Okay. And, uh, and I really struggled with some of that. 
Um, and so a lot of times when I was doing my homework, if I didn't know the answer to something, I would ask my mom or my dad. And usually it was, how do you spell this or what does this word mean or something like that. And uh, this was back, guys, hang on to your seat, some of you young people here. This was before they had Internet and smartphones. And I would say, Dad, what, is, what does this word mean? Or I'd say, Dad, Mom, what is, how do you spell this word? And you know what my mom and dad would say? Oh, you had a mom and dad like mine, didn't you? Look it up. That's exactly right. You ever thought about that? If you don't know how to spell a word, they tell you to look it up in the dictionary. That makes no sense at all. How are you going to look it up if you can't spell it? So, but look it up. And the reason they did that, now, was it the fact that my mom and dad didn't know the answers? Maybe occasionally they didn't know the answer, but most of the time they did, didn't they? And yours did too. What were they trying to teach you? They were not trying to just teach you what the, the answer was. They were trying to teach you how to find the answer. I made a statement a couple weeks ago that as, as a pastor, uh, it took a lot of years for me to learn this, but as a pastor, if all I do is focus on teaching you the Word of God, and I never teach you how to go to the Word of God to find answers, then I have failed as a pastor. Because I can teach you all day long the Word of God, but what happens when I'm not there? I don't live in your house. Uh, I don't mind phone calls. People call me a lot, a lot. They call me, which is fine, and I love it. I do, trust me. I love, I love discussing Scripture. I love talking about and uh, don't ever feel bad about calling me about something. Um, but I may say, look it up. <laughs> That's a good one. I have to start saying that more often now. Because in, in all honesty, and I don't mean to be frivolous about it, but when it comes to what we teach in our church, I don't want to just teach this principle and how it applies to your life. I want to teach you how to go to God's Word and find that principle and apply it to your life. You need to know how to do those things. Um, I preach, I preach on standards that we ought to have standards. I don't, you notice I don't deal with a lot of specific standards. I don't call them out from the pulpit a lot. I could. And there are certainly standards to be had and to be derived from God's Word. But one of the things I'd rather teach is the principle and let you learn the standard from the principle. And now it's not a principle, now it's not a standard that pastor has taught you. Now it is your standard. And it is based not on what preacher said, but on what the Bible said. Very big importance there. We are so used to and accustomed to in our day and age on whitewashing the sepulchers, outwardly making the vessel clean, and never dealing with the heart of the matter. I can, I can give everybody in this church a framework of how to live a life that is clean outwardly. We can preach on that. We can preach on it hard. We can say, boy, you ought to look this way. You ought to dress this way. You ought to speak this way. You ought to act this way. But I'd far rather you come to Scripture and find a principle that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I'd rather see you come to Scripture and read, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing. I'd rather find uh, you, you find a principle that says, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure. And learn from those things. These I want to put that verse now into my life. And that is going to create standards for me. Now they're your standards based on God's Word. And so our philosophy of ministry here at Keith Heights Baptist Church is that we don't just teach the Bible. We do teach that. But we don't want to just stop there. We want to teach people to learn from the Bible. 
because we believe that the Bible has the answer for every problem and every decision that you have to make. Every single one of them. So we need to train people in the Scriptures. We speak about that an awful lot, about our walk with God and our relationship with God being the most important thing. We put an emphasis on memorizing Scripture and studying Scripture and how we ought to spend time beyond just our Bible reading time to look at Scripture and to think on it. And uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, and you all know the passage is very familiar, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Does that mean without sin, without error? Is that what that word means? It means to be mature, to be grown up. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, we're going to come back to this word perfect in just a few moments here. And uh, if we have time tonight. If not, we'll catch it next week. Number three, the third point of our philosophy of ministry. Number one was... The Bible is our final, it is our only and final authority uh, in the areas of doctrine, philosophy, and methods. The second point of our philosophy of ministry is that the Bible has the answer for every man's problem or decision. And so we're going, to, we're going to work and we're going to labor as a church to develop the Word of God in people's lives. Number three, we believe that the local church is the institution that God has chosen to accomplish this purpose of maturing or perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, I want to be careful how I say this, but there are, there are good, well-meaning ministries that are not under the, the direction or the accountability, if you will, of a local church. They do good things. And I'm not saying that they're not doing well in the world. But that's not what God established to accomplish His purpose. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground upon what, uh, which truth rests. It is, it, is the, it is the institution that God has designed for us to uphold the truth of the Word of God. Very, very important to be able to teach, to train, to have accountability. Uh, there are organizations out there, and I'm not... Uh, speaking ill of them, I know they do good work, uh, but I'll tell you this, the Red Cross will not replace the church. It's just not going to do it. Uh, the Shriners, as much good as they do, are not going to replace the church. The Masons, or the Moose Lodge, or the Elks Lodge, or the whatever other lodges they have out there, they are not going to replace the church. And I've heard some people say, well, uh, they're doing work that the church isn't doing, so I'm going to give my money and I'm going to give my time and I'm going to go join there and, and, and um, volunteer there because they're doing the work that the church isn't doing. Can I tell you this? That if the church is not doing biblically what it's supposed to be doing with regards to taking care of the widows and the fatherless, the answer is not to go outside of the church and find somebody who is and help them. The answer is to roll up your sleeves, get in the church, and start doing it. And the fact that we need to be focused on doing what God has told us to do as a church is the responsibility of every one of us. That's part of what we read about in Ephesians 4 and verse number 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In the early church, when the disciples were being so burdened, uh, the, the ones that were uh, the apostles specifically that were preaching and pastoring that church in Jerusalem were being so uh, consumed with 
What the Bible referred to, the phrase that's used, is waiting on tables. Uh, they were so busy running from one place to the other, putting out fires and trying to help the people in the church with uh, different things. And, and the, the, the apostles were not able to give themselves to prayer and to doctrine. And so the Bible tells that the, the apostles were uh, told to uh, find out seven men full of the Holy Ghost to serve as deacons so that they could do that, that kind of work and give the, the, the pastors or the apostles of that day the ability to labor in prayer and in doctrine. One of the great things, and I, I don't at all mind, uh, I don't think a pastor ought to just sit back and do nothing either. I think we ought to be soul winners just like everybody else, and we ought to visit people and make phone calls and send cards and letters just like everybody else. But one of the things that a pastor's got to be able to do, if what we're holding to as our philosophy is true from Scripture, one thing a pastor's got to do is he's got to have time to pray and to give or labor in the area of doctrine so that he can take and teach the people of the church the things that will help them to do the work of the ministry and edify the body of Christ. So the local church is the institution that God gives to accomplish this purpose. Uh, it's not ecumenical organizations. Um, I've seen some quote-unquote religious groups. In fact, I've been well acquainted with a couple that uh, people have gotten involved in. Uh, some people that I'm very close to and people that I know very well that have gotten involved in that are a hodgepodge of all different kinds of denominations and uh, with uh, people that are uh, not the same doctrinally. And uh, the, the reasoning or the uh, justifying of it was, well, it's, it's just something that is a very refreshing thing. When I went to it, it was very good. It was something I enjoyed. But it wasn't biblical, and it wasn't scriptural. And so we ought not to have things like that involved in our lives. We've got to be so careful of these things. Number four, number four. Parents are the key to producing godly young people in a church. This is a very important part of our philosophy of ministry. I spent a, a number of years, uh, about 14 years, as a youth pastor. And when I first came out of college and was excited about going into youth ministry, um, I thought, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these young people and I'm going to turn these into the next Billy Sunday. You know, they're going to they're gonna be the next uh, uh, D.L. Moody's. You know, these, these men are going to turn the world upside. We're going to have revival in this youth program. And, boy, I'm going to really turn out some great young people. The problem is that's not my responsibility. And it took a number of years in working in youth ministry before I began to recognize that the responsibility of raising and rearing godly young people is in the hands of parents. What happens a lot of times in a church is, uh, if we're not careful, we'll follow in the, fall into the same, uh, same practice. What will happen in the church is some parents will come to the pastor and say, Pastor, we're struggling with our young people, and uh, we, we think we need to have a youth program. And so uh, the pastor goes out and he, he hires a, a young um, youth pastor. He's got a whistle around his neck and athletic. And, I mean, that's always the qualifications of a good youth pastor, right? And... Uh, 
He's got to come in, and boy, the kid's got to like him. He's got to have some exciting ideas, and full of ideas, and full of charisma. And, and boy, if we just get this youth pastor, pastor, uh, then my kids are going to start gravitating to him. He's going to be able to teach them the things of the, of the Bible, and teach them how to love God with all of their heart. And we're going to turn out some godly, godly young people. And so the church goes out, and they hire this youth pastor. And several months, or a year, or maybe two years go by, and parents come to the pastor and say, Pastor... Our young people aren't, aren't, aren't really getting any better spiritually. They're, they're struggling. And if anything, maybe we're seeing them even go backwards. And I'll tell you what, Pastor, it's this ungodly uh, secular education that they're involved in. If we just had a Christian school, then that would be the answer. And uh, so they go out and they decide, okay, we're going to have a Christian school. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been involved in Christian education over 30 years and love Christian education. I think Christian education has its right place. But it is not the answer to rearing godly young people. The answer to rearing godly young people lies in the hands of the parents. I'll tell you why this is so important in our philosophy of ministry. Because our responsibility as a church is not to raise or rear your children by way of a healthy youth program. Nor is it the responsibility of the church to help rear or raise your children by way of a Christian school. I'll tell you what it is, what is the responsibility of the church. The responsibility of the church is to reach mom and dad and train godly parents to raise godly children by God's Word. That is our first and foremost priority. When we get those things backward, we start having some problems. The parents begin to depend on the church, and the church begins to depend on the Christian school. And so uh, we, the parents come and say, Pastor, where's our godly young people? And the pastor says, I'll go ask the, the Christian school. And the Christian school says, well, uh, these young people, they're just uh, ungodly in their hearts, and they're not really making any progress. And all the work we're trying to do, it's not working right, because we're not doing it God's way. We're not doing it God's way. What happens is, if we're not careful, the church will step around the parents and try to reach the children only. I think we ought to have a good youth program. Ms. Linda and Ms. Michelle did a great job, and others did a great job uh, last Saturday. We had 25 young people, or about 20 young people or so here the other day. And I'm thankful for that. And what, what the youth program does is it takes young people who godly parents are raising to be godly children, and it then does the purpose of the church. It takes that godly young person and perfects them, for the work of the ministry, it prepares them, it trains them, it equips them. That's the purpose of a youth program, not to raise godly children. The raising of godly children is the responsibility of parents. Amen. I'll, I'll agree with that if, if nobody else will. That's, that's the biblical way. You say, Brother Greg, where's the Scripture on that? Well, I'm glad you asked. All right. Let's look in Deuteronomy chapter number 5, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter number 5. We've got to be so careful, because I, and I've seen this happen. I've, I've watched it happen. I've seen it in churches. And uh, it creates strife. It creates usually uh, strife between the leadership of the Christian school and the parents, or between the pastor and the parents. We had a Christian school in Florida for a number of years. It's amazing to me how many people quit and left our church over issues that were school issues. Um, it will cause the, church, the, the school to become the primary ministry. It will become, if you're not careful, it will become a school that has a church rather than a church that has a school. 
Because the school, in trying to do all that is expected of it, to try to raise these kids, they have all these activities, they get all the funding and all the money and all the facilities, because, boy, it's going to take all this to try to raise these kids. That was never the answer. By the way, neither is the government the answer for raising our kids. It is the responsibility of parents. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter number 5, and verse number 30. Deuteronomy chapter number 5, verse number 30. Now, God is speaking to Moses here. And he says, Go say to them, Get you into your tents again. But as for thee, stand thou here by me, and I will speak unto thee all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which thou shalt teach them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live, and that it may be well with you, that ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. So understand this, that God's telling Moses, you need to tell the people to all go back to their tents. And he says, but you, I want you to stand here. And I'm going to give you all of the things that I want them to know. And then I want you to go teach it to them. So one of the purposes of a pastor teacher, according to Ephesians chapter number 4, again, is to perfect and train parents, mom and dad. By the way, not just mom. Men are to be the spiritual leaders of the home. And so many times, churches, I'm not, I love bus ministry. I have worked on bus ministries. I have great heart for bus ministries. I'm not anti-bus ministry, but I came to a point uh, when I pastored in Florida that when I went to our bus workers and I said, folks, we're doing this the wrong way. We're reaching the kids. We need to get into the homes and reach mom and dad because uh, we are not the ones responsible to raise that child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They are. Well, Brother Greg, they're not saved. Okay, whose fault is that? Have we knocked on their door? Have we walked in and sat down in the living room? Have we shared the gospel with them? And the reason that we reach kids is because they're easier to reach than mom and dad, isn't it? That's kind of the lazy way out of things. And then if we do take that extra step, we usually don't go after dad because he's usually the hard-nosed one, isn't he? So usually we try to reach mom. Can I tell you, that's the wrong order. We need to try to reach dad. Let him be the spiritual leader of the home. And we need to teach and to train parents. And this is, this is by the way, God's, this is God's order of things. I'm not anti-bus ministry. I think bus ministries are great, but if we're going to do bus ministry, let's reach the family. Let's not just reach the kids. I'm I'm all for youth programs. I have no problem with youth programs. I have no problems with Christian schools. I love Christian schools. I've taught in them and administrated them for numbers of years. I love Christian schools. But let's not use the Christian school or the youth program to raise and to rear godly young people. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to take a godly young person that's already been raised by godly parents and to equip them and to perfect them for the work of the ministry, to help sharpen their acts, to get them ready to serve the Lord. We look at it backwards. We've got to be careful in our philosophy of ministry because it will it'll get the cart before the horse and it will create problems in a church. It really will. When it comes to our youth program, our youth program is here to complement what the parents are already doing at home. It's not here to replace it. It's not here to step around a parent. We've got to be so careful of that. But look with me if you get to chapter number 6 and verse number 1. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded you to teach you, commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. I think that's a very important phrase in verse number 1. If you have a pen and you normally underline in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that last phrase that says that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. 
There's a two little uh, letter word here, two letter word here, named do. That ye might do them. That we might do what? The commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. Notice before he gets to the idea of apparent teaching, he emphasizes that apparent be doing. Probably one of the greatest things that will turn out young people, you'll be almost guaranteed to turn out wrong kind of young people, is if you teach them to do something that you're not doing. Um, I have uh, five brothers and sisters. Uh, four brothers and sisters, five of us total. A brother and sister older than me, a brother and sister younger than me, and I'm in that middle child syndrome area, okay? My oldest brother uh, was adopted or became, came to live with us when he was 16 years old. And um, so he didn't have quite the same influence from my parents as the rest of us did. But uh, my older sister and myself and my two younger siblings, um, not perfect, I, I'm not trying to build us up or pat us on the back, but every single one of us ended up in ministry, in lifelong ministry. And I've had a lot of people ask the question, how did that happen? Because a lot of uh, preacher's kids or kids that are, Deacons' kids or leaders in the church, missionary kids, a lot of them don't turn out right. I don't know if it's the same in every household or every case. I've talked with it, my brothers and sisters about this a few times. But I know for our, our family, we never saw my dad to be something different at home than he was in the pulpit. And what he preached and what my mom taught in the Sunday schools and stood beside my dad on in ministry, they were at home. And as a kid, it's amazing the stability that that gives us in the things of the Lord. They were unified together in rearing young people that were going to be Christ-honoring. I'm sure my mom and dad had some arguments and fights along the years. I heard maybe one or two loud discussions, but I never heard them argue. And I don't even think they were loud discussions. They just never let us see that. If it happened, it was behind closed doors. And when mom said something, that was the end of it. You couldn't go to dad and say, well, can I do this or change it? Uh, we got in trouble for that, in fact. Mom and dad were together on rearing young people. And they didn't try to teach us something that they did not live. Very, very important that God tells Moses here to, to teach them these things but before he tells them to teach them to their children, he says, you need to do them. You need to do them. Verse number 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to what? Observe to what? Verse number 3. To do it. That it may be well with thee, that it may that you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of, of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land which floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. In verse number six, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine not outward. 
Notice he starts off with telling him you need to do the commandments and the testimonies and the statutes of the Lord, but not just outwardly. They better be in the heart. And then he says, after all of this, after saying you've got to do them, they've got to be part of the inside. Now verse number 7. And thou shalt teach them haphazardly, occasionally. What does it say? Thou shalt teach them what? Diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them. When thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. There are times that I repeat things in church from week to week. I'll use an illustration, or I'll make a statement or something. And I do that by way of remembrance. Somebody told me years ago that repetition was the key to learning. And uh, have I ever told you all that before? Repetition is the key to learning. Brother Harold and I were talking about the idea that repetition is the key to learning the other day. And he said, was it repetition is the key to learning? I said, yes, repetition is the key to learning. And by the time we were done, we remembered that repetition is the key to learning. And, uh, but when we repeat things like that sometimes, if we're not careful, uh, we'll, we'll just discard it and be like, oh, we're getting callous to it. Can I tell you this? When God told Moses to teach the parents to teach their children, notice what he says here. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That pretty well covers all the time, doesn't it? I, I would imagine if you lived in that day and age, you might make a statement to your mom and dad, do I have to hear this again? Jonathan and I, every once in a while, have a father-son talk. And we deal with uh, becoming a man and, and having character. And, and uh, the other day, uh, I started in on a character talk with him. And he said, Dad, do we have to talk about character all the time? <laughs> I was like, yes, until you get it, we're going to keep talking about it. And uh, he is, he's getting it, slow but sure, but it's coming. But, you know, the Bible teaches us that we are not to give up on it. We're to continually teach him. We're to teach him when we walk by the way, when we stand up, when we lie down. I mean, everywhere we go, when we stay in the house, when we leave the house, we're to be talking about them and teaching them in all of these things. Can I tell you this? Number three of our philosophy of ministry is that parents are the key to rearing and raising godly young people. We as a church will not be the replacement for parents. We will help to have programs that will teach and train mom and dad how to rear godly young people. We'll help mom and dad become godly parents with Bible principles that they can then take and teach to their young people. And we will have youth programs that will be supplemental to and helpful to the family, not a replacement of. Very, very important that we do this. We start getting things out of order. We begin doing it contrary to what God's Word says, and we are destined to have some problems. It is eight minutes after eight, eight, eight minutes after nine according to that clock, uh, and I have uh, two and a half more pages of notes. So we're going to go ahead and cut it off there. And um, uh, we will pick up there next uh, Wednesday night. I um, want to encourage you in some things here. We want to be biblical in our philosophy of ministry. We want to be biblical in our purpose. And I, some of this stuff is, is stuff that isn't always stated in churches. I want our church, I want not just the pastor to know it, and I don't want just the deacons to know it. I want every person in our church to know specifically 
as a church, how we're going to function, how we're going to operate based on God's Word. And having a biblical philosophy, having a biblical purpose, I think is critical. And for every one of us, not just to know it, but to do it. Okay? So uh, we're going to cut off there. Uh, let's take just a couple minutes, two or three minutes, if you have a prayer request. And then we'll uh, just have a word of prayer real quick and be dismissed here in just a minute. In fact, we're probably going to break into small groups and have prayer tonight. And then when you're done, you can just leave uh, afterwards. So uh, let's do this. Uh, if you have a prayer request or something you're thankful for, maybe an answer to prayer, uh, let's take those real quick. Okay, Miss Kathy? Okay. 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 Wesley Hutchins. Okay. All right. Thank you, Brother Kenny. I meant to mention to you to go ahead and we go ahead and close that out. Okay.